Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City. A journey through history, society, feelings, and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its people, and its history. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and my guest today is Rachel Lev. She is curator and archivist at the American Colony. The American Colony was established as a religious institution. By now, it's an acclaimed hotel, guest house, with an amazing garden, and a well-furnished bookstore, and indeed, an archive full of very interesting and unexplored material but more importantly, with plenty of pictures that have made the history of the American colony and of Jerusalem. Rachel, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Nice to be here. <laughs> the first question, and the only question that I always ask all of my guests is, what is your Jerusalem? In other words, what is your connection to the city? Uh, well, I, I, I came here unwillingly, I have to admit, um, uh, some uh, 35 years ago uh, as a student. I came to study with the Hebrew University, uh, art history and uh, uh, anthropology, and uh, I didn't want to come here. I want to stay uh, in Haifa or in the area of the sea. I was born in Haifa. Uh, but eventually I came, studied here, and uh, uh, I remained here, take out a few years that I traveled abroad and so forth. So I'm here for very long years. I, I'm here since I started to study, and uh, I started with art history and uh, social psychology, and then I went to Betalen to study architectural design, and then... Um, and then in recent years, I'm, I'm back uh, into studying my master's degrees in philosophy of the arts and so forth. Just a few years after I arrived in Jerusalem, I started, I, I was lucky enough to get a job at the Israel Museum, a, a prints and the drawings department is the best department of the Israel Museum. And um, and uh, soon after, I started to work uh, with the collection of photographs when uh, Nissan Perez uh, was curator of the uh, department for many years. He left for uh, two years and I was given the ability, the opportunity to manage the photographic collection for two years. And uh, this is the first place where I met uh, a American colony work. Uh, but I say, even when I studied art history, uh, uh, I was quite interested in history of photography. It captured to me. I liked the, I loved the medium, and the, uh, and I did quite a few work uh, works in my uh, early studies on photography. 
be. Even if you, if you ask me today, I don't know, you know, to how to express my relationship uh, to Jerusalem because it's quite uh, mixed, you know. Uh, what is my, if you ask me, what is my Jerusalem? So my Jerusalem is always living the built environment and going uh, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, facing the Dead Sea, uh, and trying to feel what, what is this genius lochi, what is the spirit of this place that over the years was so distorted by a lot of uh, foreign influences. What is there in Jerusalem that uh, captured the uh, attention of so many people? Is, is, is it only because of the biblical uh, stories or there is something in the place that is really capturing? And uh, also when I, when I look at the east, eastward towards Jordan, and when, when I look at the west from the forest of Jerusalem towards uh, uh, the sea, it's totally, it's like totally different city. It's totally different feeling. And the north and the uh, west, and still there is something, when I'm thinking the unbuilt Jerusalem, there is something quite special in the energy that is still maintained, even that this city was so, it was subject to so many influences, many of them are good, but many of them are, you know, taking something of the original, uh, uh, essence, original feeling of the place. So I love Jerusalem, the landscape. I love, I'm terrified today when I see what residential architecture is doing to the city. And I'm thankful when I'm looking at the old city and say, thanks God they don't allow to build anything uh, there and they maintain the, the, the nature of the old city, even that the old city is also built from a lot of uh, foreign influences. Um, it's. I love it. I love the air. I love the culture. Uh, since I work uh, for the American colony, I'm. My life is part of East Jerusalem, and I like uh, to be a guest in East Jerusalem. It feels uh, uh, like being abroad, <laughs> and uh, it also maintains a lot of the historical early 20th uh, century architecture and street space and so forth and uh, and specifically Nablus Road and the Christian institution that uh, established themselves along Nablus Road, Christian research institution uh, uh, that started uh, in the late 19th century along Nablus Road, which is very interesting once to explore why, why this path was chosen as a, and um, and of course the American colony, which uh, uh, when you look at all the maps of Jerusalem, at uh, Wilson uh, uh, survey, uh, you see that the face, the, the the main building of the American colony was one of the first residential uh, uh, complexes uh, in Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, I like a lot to look at. Uh, because I look a lot at history, I like to look at the maps of Sheikh Jarrah before it was a, it, it developed as a, a residential neighborhood. And uh, it's a story I also tell visitors in the archive a lot that uh, it was uh, the whole area from the uh, old city of Jerusalem, the walls of the old city until north, until Mount Scopus, and uh, it was covered with the uh, orchard and the uh, palms and the uh, water fountains and the uh, and the movement of uh, Palestinians uh, uh, from the old city uh, to Sheikh Jarrah started with buying with buying land and uh, and cultivating it before they built their houses and then uh, the landscape of Sheikh Jarrah and the idea that uh, Sheikh Jarrah is a uh, is it was a whole huge orchard, uh, uh, you know, with people passing say, from Nablus to Jerusalem and stopping on the way. Uh, it's quite significant to think about the future uh, as a as foundation of the future development of the neighborhood. This is more or less, you know, I, I study a lot about uh, Jerusalem through through the uh, 
history of the American colony, of course, and through the history of the members of the American colony, which is quite a unique story that is also it's a lot of common of a Christian institution that were established along a, 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 a this area. If you think about the idea that people of 17 nationalities, uh, specifically Swedish and American, that came and they were pulled to come over here and they could settle. And nobody tell them, okay, because of your faith, you cannot stay. They could settle, that they could... Uh, could do their work and they continue and they maintain even uh, 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 the connection. They, they continue to live in for uh, until today. Uh, it's, it's quite a phenomena. I think it must have been for them a, a fascinating experience from the first group of Russia Gates and Anna Stafford who came from Chicago, uh, who settled actually in the Muslim quarter. It was a, they came with a group of 18 people and they remained quite a quite small community until uh, 1896. But I mean specifically after 1896, where uh, the American colony suddenly grew and became a community of 150 people with a lot of young adults and a lot of children that came from Sweden and from America and they, as I said, from other uh, 17 nationalities. And these people are coming and sitting there and they living there and they experience the, experience, uh, the country and the place. And eventually what I think that the, the country Palestine, the country is becoming stronger even than the uh, their original faith, because at the end of the day, they they becoming secular, and they becoming very involved in life of the life of Jerusalem, and they they becoming quite similar to quite a few of the uh, uh, research institute along this road, uh, and normally. We don't look at this axis. We tend to look at about, about the American colony as a Christian messianic community, but it was true only in the beginning. First of all, thank you for bringing back the question of neighborhoods, Sheikh Jarrah in particular. Yeah. Jerusalem is not just the old city, but as other guests mentioned, there are other areas. Uh, previous guests mentioned Katamon, for instance, uh, and, and certainly Sheikh Jarrah deserves a lot of attention. This was uh, sort of the area, not just of the American colony, but then later also of the first uh, sort of uh, uh, Ottoman houses that were built uh, outside the city. Obviously, others also along Jaffa Road, but uh, Sheikh Jarrah was this very vibrant and also, as you mentioned, uh, beautiful <laughs> neighborhoods. Nowadays, as you mentioned, the American colony is very much a gathering place. It's a hotel. Uh, but his famous garden also has been used by uh, many, from politicians to common people, to sit down, talk about uh, politics or just regular daily life and enjoying a tea in, in that beautiful garden. But it used to be something different. And you mentioned at the beginning, this was obviously a religious community. They came to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, uh, from Chicago, where I'm sitting right now, and uh, essentially waiting for the second coming, but then things changed. And, and I was wondering if you can also elaborate a little bit more about the history of the colony, particularly in the key period of World War I and British War, where the colony developed an important role within the local Jerusalemite context. Okay, first of all, I want to uh, correct something. Um, um, Russia Gates Pufford, the, the founder of the American colony, was a quite unique a, a personality, a philosopher and a, a, a lawyer and a poet. And a, he, he actually, he was the, the, the living spirit behind this uh, first group of people who arrived in Jerusalem. And he searched for an alternative way to worship. 
and he explored a lot uh, how to to uh, uh, to reconnect to the uh, origin of the Christian uh, religion uh, and the, how to find the, the ideas behind it. So uh, Horatio Gates Parfait did not believe in second coming of Christ in body. He, he didn't believe. They, they, they were very religious people and, they, and he believed kind of in a, a serial a, a second coming. The Jerusalem uh, will gain its glory back and the, the Holy Spirit will land upon the city and they, they long to be a witnesses to kind of a serial event that they, they were expecting. But he said clearly when he was interviewed in a, even in the 1884, 1885, he said, I don't believe in a second uh, uh, coming. But uh, the American colony metamorphoses all the time and people who come, even his wife, Anna Spafford, who later after his death, she takes over uh, uh, the leading of the colony. She, her face is totally different. And uh, the Swedes that arrived from Sweden, there were two groups of Swedes, one group of Swedes that uh, arrived from uh, Chicago, uh, Swedish immigrants to uh, America, who met Anna Spafford in America in 1896 and decided to join her back to Jerusalem. And there was a sister community, uh, this Swedish group in Chicago, uh, uh, who lived in a small village in North. Uh, and when they heard that coming to Jerusalem, they said, we want to come also. And they already believed in a kind of a second uh, coming in body and that Christ will reincarnate. So the first period was uh, of the American colony was the period of the small group that immigrated from Chicago, 18, 19 people. And there was a few people that were joining it all the time. They were influenced from Anna and Horatio, and they uh, loved the ideas that the ideas that they represented, and they joined the community. But in 1896, it was a big change because of uh, suddenly the community became a, a community of uh, 150 people from uh, a 16, 60 family, 60 families. From that moment, they also have to start to work for their living. Before they refused to work, they wanted uh, only to prepare, to uh, purify themselves for this grand uh, uh, event, to become, uh, to become uh, pure so they can uh, feel or can accept what is going to, uh, the spiritual event that is going to uh, land on Jerusalem. But from the moment the Swedes arrive and from the moment the new Americans arrive, they have to start to work for living and they have to start to be much more practical. And this is where the point when they move from the old city to Sheikh Jarrah. They're renting the house of uh, Rabbi Dawood Effendi al-Husseini, who built the house. He was quite a personality himself, uh, but he died a few years earlier and the house was a... Uh, they, they were able to rent this house and it fit perfectly to their needs. And it housed, it's a, even if you look at the hotel today, it still resembles the feeling of a house. It's not a, it doesn't look a hotel even today because it doesn't have this corridor and it built from different houses. And they, over the years, they also bought, uh, they rented this house of Rabado Defendi Al Husseini. And they, and they later rented a, another 14 houses in the vicinity of Sheikh Jarrah, even in the west side of Nablus Road. And they rented fields and they, they were quite a, quite a settlement in the history of Jerusalem. Um, when they started to work, uh, I, would, I, I would mention here the first time, the beginning of the photo department of the American colony because they, they have to start to make money to, to supply for such a big community. And one of the ideas that came from um, actually another icon in the history of Jerusalem, Ferdinand Ludwig Bester, who had the shop 
uh, in Jaffa Gate that later becomes the shop of the American colony. Uh, uh, his, his idea was that they, they would start a photo business. And Vester uh, uh, was the one of four shops that sold photography in Jerusalem uh, much earlier uh, than the 90s. He was one of the first shop to sell photograph and he did his own uh, postcards production and so forth. And they take it, they take his idea and they, in the American colony, the, uh, one of the striking personalities was uh, Elisha Mayers. He was a convert, a uh, Jew con uh, converted to Christianity. He was kind of jack of all trades. He knew photography and he knew uh, languages and uh, how to make batteries. And uh, and uh, later he's becoming expert of uh, uh, corner chic models and he lectures about them. But he takes the children, the young adults of the colony uh, from the ages of 12 to 16 and they start experimenting on photography soon after the, the Swedes arrive in Jerusalem. And um, after two years of experiments, they get their first uh, commission, which is the coverage of uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II of uh, Germany uh, visiting Palestine. I'm telling this story first because uh, this young people started traveling all over the Middle East uh, for photo expedition quite early uh, in their uh, uh, photographic experimentation, but very quickly they became professionals. The issue of traveling the land uh, also was, uh, it was etched into the life of the early community as well. Uh, Russia Spafford was traveling the land all the time. He was traveling, he was visiting all the settlements of the new, uh, the first uh, Zionist Aliyah. Uh, and he, he also was one of the people who believed that uh, when Jews will arrive to Palestine, this, this kind of, this will be a sign of the uh, event that is going to, it's a Christian event uh, uh, that is going to, uh, arrive and he visited all the uh, Jewish settlements and uh, he also traveled the land. He was one of the people who brought the eucalyptus trees into Palestine. So traveling, I'm going back to the photo department, the, the community uh, and travel was, was one thing. They traveled all the time, they went to Jordan, they went to Sinai, uh, uh, the whole community would pack up their things and just uh, go and uh, visit people, make friends with Bedouins and so forth. It was the, the totally antithesis of a Messianic Christian community that is totally isolated. And they have a great interest in people. And uh, from the moment the uh, Swedes arrive, uh, there's a big uh, change because they uh, the photo department is one industry that developed, but uh, together with this, they develop about 10 different industries inside the American colony. Practically everybody who knew to make something, who expertise in something, could start their own uh, business or science inside the American colony. I would mention here, for example, uh, uh, Professor John Edward Dinsmore. He wasn't a professor, but he was called who arrived from Maine in 1899, and he was an amateur botanist. And uh, together with uh, Professor Gustav Hermann Dahlmann, he started exploring the uh, botany of uh, Palestine and the Levant. And he later, he's the one who uh, published the first um, a encyclopedia of uh, uh, plants in uh, Syria, uh, uh, Jordan, Palestine, and Sinai in two volumes. Yeah. So this is another example. They had the, they started the food industry and they started to sell food to to hotels around and canning industry. And I would say whatever they did, they had a touch of gold. You know, they knew how to make 
uh, things. Uh, they knew how to cook, they were, how to make good cakes, uh, how to host people. From 1900, they start actually a guest house. And this was another uh, issue that uh, puts them in the center of attention because in the beginning of 1900, it was a big wave of uh, uh, non-pilgrimage tourism. Uh, secular tourists who wanted to see the Middle East and uh, American tourists, and uh, they would come with uh, big boats, with Clark tours. And uh, they would stay in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem they would stay at the American colony. And at the time, the, the members of the American colony would clear their rooms for the guests uh, in a specific tourism. And these guests are buying, buying also the photographs of the American colony uh, in thousands. Uh, so, so this small industries that are being developed inside the American colony and host, including hosting, including a shop in Jaffa Gate, uh, actually uh, uh, help them stretch out into uh, uh, cultures in Jerusalem, make friends and, uh, and, and work together. This is the foundation of uh, uh, what leads eventually to uh, the period of the British mandate but without understanding this, uh, what we call the golden age of the American colony from 1896 until 1914, uh, when they became highly creative, highly known uh, in the world, in their photographic world, in their uh, research, uh, knowledge of the Holy Land. And, and, and I would mention here also the, the school that they established, the elementary school uh, that they established in the old house, in the old city, that they granted them a lot of uh, respect from Palestinian uh, friends who would send their children, boys and girls, to study uh, study there. And the World War I was a big revolution for uh, the colony because at once everything uh, came into stop, all the commerce, and they had to think, you know, how to uh, make a living. And this is where the American colony started uh, writing about it uh, in one of your articles, about they starting to to do organized aid work uh, for the benefit of uh, people of Jerusalem. When I say organized, uh, say they, they've raised funds in America and they establish uh, uh, day centers for women and children. Uh, Abigail Jacobson just uh, uh, wrote about it. And, uh, and, and when the Brits entered Jerusalem, uh, and I, th I think also with their influence, uh, this uh, organized aid work is taking uh, off and they uh, start one project after the other. They start in uh, 1918, uh, uh, the orphanage uh, that Abigail writes about, and then later they start a, a, a workshop uh, for young women. A, a, like an in, industrial school, like Bezalel, you know, but they start their own industrial school for lace and uh, dressmaking and other small uh, arts and crafts and so forth. And they, they run this school for about 20 years from 1918. Uh, in 1926, they start venture of the, uh, Anna, what was called in the beginning, Anna Baby Home, which is uh, today the Spark for Children's Center. It's the only venture that remained actually uh, uh, until today, uh, but it metamorphoses, uh, metamorphosed uh, quite a few times over the years. Uh, the Children's Center started as a home for children whose parents couldn't uh, uh, care for them, but very quickly they established after that uh, American Colony Aid Association, which is kind of umbrella organization for their uh, project. We are going to take a short break. Please, during the break, remember to join our Facebook page. Follow all of the new episodes of the podcast. You can also follow Jerusalem Unplugged on Twitter and on Instagram. 
And as usual, if you have an interesting story that you want to share about Jerusalem, please get in touch. If you know someone you want me to interview, please write me a message or an email. Thank you for listening. And remember, enjoy, share, subscribe. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The British uh, uh, entry into Jerusalem also enabled the commerce to uh, renew itself, the American colony commerce, and it became much uh, more uh, uh, active. The shop uh, uh, reopened and they, they started the car business. They started to import uh, cars, uh, Dodge, uh, Dodge cars, and the, uh, the import of cars also changed a lot the, the scene of uh, uh, the roads, the roads, the new roads were, were uh, uh, made, and uh, a lot of Palestinians bought uh, new cars, uh, rent, rental of cars, and uh, tour guiding and so forth. Um, I think they found in the British in the beginning, they found the very close uh, allies. Uh, they spoke the language. Uh, funnily enough, when the British arrived, they didn't know the word uh, in Arabic. They didn't speak the language. It was the American colony young members who would teach them Arabic because they fl spoke fluent Arabic. Slowly over the years, and when the situation escalates in Palestine, I think they find themselves on the verge uh, between uh, uh, identif identification of uh, their Palestinian with their Palestinian friends and the attitude of the uh, uh, of, of the British towards uh, the situation the, towards Zionism and. Uh, You mentioned food. I must say that I was not aware that the American colony had a sort of a, you know, production of food other than, uh, you know, food distribution during the war for the poor. Um, and food is central to Jerusalemite identity. So I was wondering whether the, uh, the, the American colony members were sort of uh, producing local food or they were trying to mm -hmm. replicate uh, their food from America and Sweden. I know this is just an uh, anecdotal, but I think it's, it's very curious <laughs> and very interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. 
I think I think if I if I'm looking at their uh, 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 recipes, uh, they had pumpkin uh, uh, pumpkin pies. They have a lot of American food, uh, American pastries. They had a bakery where they bake food and they, they bake cakes and they, and people love their cakes, you know. And they had they sold even in the shop in Jaffa Gate. Uh, they sold the small American uh, uh, pastries and people would queue all the way to, to buy their uh, uh, home taste, uh, the American, specifically American tourists. Uh, but I think they cooked, uh, they had quite a, quite a refined taste and I think it was a mix of Palestinian and, uh, and, and Western uh, uh, American uh, Swedish even uh, food. Most of the people who started the food industry were Swedish uh, and they uh, and definitely brought their own tradition of Swedish uh, uh, food into the colony and they uh, uh, but when I look at what they created specifically the pastries and the bread and so forth uh, and the cans and they sold olive oil uh, uh, gems, as I said, canned food, cakes, uh, all look terrific. You know, if you look at their bazaars, uh, it was just, you know, with all this uh, table full with cake, it, it didn't look like Palesti <laughs> Palestinian uh, pastry. It definitely looked like uh, American colony pastry, uh, whatever that may be at this uh, but uh, later, I think they, they're more and more adopted the, adopting the Palestinian kitchen uh, towards the 30s, 40s, and they, uh, and they start to do uh, traditional uh, baklava and, uh, and, and, and cooked uh, uh, food that is well known uh, in, in Jerusalem. We shouldn't forget that they, they hosted people from 1900. They were a hotel. It, called host, it was called a hostel, but it was uh, seven stars on uh, already then. People really fought to get place uh, in American colony, but they only had 40 rooms. And, they, and, and whoever couldn't get a place would come to dine, would come to have uh, a five o'clock tea. And they... And they I think it was kind of an international atmosphere. And I would, yes, I would mention here that it was an open house mentality. And people from Sheikh Jarrah would always come in the evening for tea and chat. The Pasha room was open every day. And everybody who was around, either a guest of the hotel, members of the colony, a, a temporary residents in Palestine would meet there. It was a meeting room. And, uh, and sit and chat uh, with others. I think many great collaborators happened there in the Pasha room between local uh, Palestinians and uh, visitors from abroad and so forth. And uh, they were very, very closely connected with uh, the Palestinians. They even made uh, <laughs> evening, uh, evenings for Palestinian women. And they describe, you know, a five o'clock tea for Palestinian women uh, would come with their children uh, once a month and uh, again for tea and the pastries and even for uh, fashion shows. In the school, the school, many of the children in the schools were Muslims and Christians. And they always mention, they always mention the Palestinians, even in the early years when they went into a, a great financial difficulties that they, they were the Palestinian friends who helped them through, who lent them money without even asking when, when they're going to pay it, and enabled them to cross the difficult years until they uh, recovered. Thank you, Rachel. Now, we are moving towards the end of this episode, but I still have a lot of questions. I must say that... Uh, you're the perfect guest. You anticipated all of the questions I've wrote down. So my job had been made uh, way easier. Reflecting back at the experience of the American colony, 
And thanks to your knowledge, because you are the curator and the archivist of this institution, what do you think is the legacy of the American colony in Jerusalem? It's a big question. If you're asking the legacy, because I'm working with historical material. You know, my expertise is from 1881 until 1934, when the American colony photo department broke, and uh, into the 30s, into the 30s, beginning of 40s. And, uh, and if, if, I, if I'm looking at this collective of people that settled in Jerusalem, people who didn't know one another, came from different uh, uh, countries, uh, different educations, uh, different expectations, but unified by the longings to be part of the idea of Jerusalem. The fascinating thing about this group that, as I said, Jerusalem became stronger than their faith at the end. Jerusalem, uh, living in Jerusalem, living with the people of Jerusalem, being able to be accepted, even though you're not a natural habitat of the, of the country of Jerusalem, uh, being supported by a, a Palestinian, be, being supported by uh, other expatriate communities. Uh, this is a phenomenon that uh, I think is very rare today. Still, these communities continue to exist, but this being able to come to a country uh, from a, without any political agenda, yes, a religious agenda, very strong, uh, and settle and do good work and uh, have a basic respect to people of all origins. One of their big beliefs is that they're there is no discrimination, you know, that God is equal, you know, equal relationship to all people. And um, this phenomenon of a, of a collective settling in this place and being able to become so highly creative and highly appreciated in the uh, uh, city of Jerusalem is, is, is an enigma for me today. And so the hotel, if you think about the hotel, the hotel also maintain a lot of this, uh, but as a hotel, not as an ideological community. And of course, the hotel takes the ideas of the historical community and struggle to implement them, this neutrality, this uh, being that everybody can come, no matter what origin, and can come and be feel at home there. But it's totally different from the original community and the original setting. The original setting was very natural. They were accepted in Jerusalem, this group of people. And this is something that is, uh, is, is, is fascinating because I think today to be able to come as an ideological collective and settle in Jerusalem, it, it looks like uh, something that wouldn't be, you know, very difficult to wouldn't be accepted. And this openness, this openness of the people of Jerusalem, and specifically Sheikh Jarrah residents and the temporary and the permanent residents of Jerusalem uh, is a phenomena uh, that has to do uh, with the pre-48 mentality of Palestine. Pre-48 was, was the Middle East was Middle East without borders. Uh, if, you know, of course, there were borders and there were French governing and the British uh, uh, controlling other part, but people could travel. People could take their cars and travel to Lebanon uh, to see the cedars of Lebanon. They could travel to Syria and they can travel to see uh, historical monuments. And they travel for research and for commerce. And this vision of an open border Middle East uh, uh, is a vision that I take also from uh, the photographic work of the American colony, specifically from maybe John D. Whiting, photographic diarist, that uh, he's a traveler and he's a, and this openness, you know, I was born in, uh, in Palestine, in Israel, and I never experienced uh, the feeling of a, uh, 
of this Middle East, that is entity, it's an entity of a Middle East and all this uh, uh, ability to, to communicate and to create cultural and commercial uh, relationship with uh, and feel that you can travel through is the mentality is a closed mind, you know, closed the uh, Middle East. And my vision when I look at their work or the work of the American colony is 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 the last uh, episode of the open Middle East uh, before 48. And I think this is a legacy that many, uh, like myself, who had the chance and opportunity to sit around the American colony garden many times, you can actually feel and, and breathe this uh, openness that you mentioned, the nature of the place itself, placed uh, alongside the green line, and that place oversaw conflicts, wars, and yet, once you cross literally the, the street and you, you go into the garden and, you know, just the hotel and the bookstore, it feels something that you mentioned in the very beginning, somehow to be abroad, to be somewhere else. And yet it's Jerusalem at the same time. And I think this is really the power of this place. I have one last question. Yes. And it's, uh, and it's a personal one and it connects, you know, what you said at the beginning but also it connects with your work. You're a curator, you're an archivist, and you have to deal with documents, pictures, which tell you about the life of uh, these people that established, lived in the American colony, connected with the local population. How do you feel when you read this material, when you look at these pictures? How do you, do you personally connect with them? Do you feel some sort of a friendship? <laughs> well, well uh, the camera didn't work, but um, if the camera worked, you would see a big smile on my face. <laughs> because I really love them. You know, I feel it, it, it's strange. I, I feel very connected to the historical community, uh, also because uh, we're doing a great studies together with Swedish researchers about the members and what they created, what, what, what they part in their uh, creative uh, work. And you get to know them and you get to know their dreams and difficulties and fears. And uh, you start to identify with them even as if they were living people. So uh, I, I love these materials, you know, it's, it's like, uh, addicted archivist when I see a piece of all the paper under a, a pile of new documents I knew I know exactly where to go to pick it up and I most of the time I'm uh, successful and I find I found a lot of stuff inside the American colony actually one of the things we didn't uh, talk about is that the American colony archive uh, started with two cabinets but now it has about a collection of about 50,000 items and it consists also on objects, uh, documents, photographs, manuscripts. Uh, and, they, and, and we were lucky because it's the same place that everything happens. So a lot of stuff was hidden inside the American colony attics and storages and hotel rooms. And you have to, the more I got to know the history of the colony, the more I could uh, uh, add to, to the collection uh, related materials that were created by the member. I think that we're amazing group of people, very diverse, uh, dreamers, romantics, ro uh, 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 how is it, romanticists, uh, it was not easy to come to Jerusalem for them. Many, you know, to come from a village of north in uh, the Lakalia and settle in Jerusalem was, was devastating for some of them and they died in the early years. Uh, so I feel for them as well. Uh, I, I feel it's, a, it's my community. The historical community is a community that I, I highly identify with and through this through this historical records, through collecting, through searching, through uh, 
promoting the importance of the archive uh, uh, for, uh, for, for researchers and other audience. Uh, this is a piece of history of Jerusalem, and it's a quite unique piece of history of Jerusalem uh, because it's not, they were not involved in the conflict uh, uh, directly. They managed somehow to uh, uh, maintain the good relationship with the people of Jerusalem, and through the photography, you you manage to restore part of this. Uh, uh, unplugged uh, uh, Jerusalem. You see, you, it helps you reconnect, it helps you identify. You see the different communities, you, you see tribes in, uh, in Jordan and in Syria and, uh, and, and, and the studies that they made on them. And I think it's an amazing source to re-identify, like meta meta source to re-identify, rebuild uh, cultural memory of, uh, of uh, Jerusalem before 48. This was Rachel Lev, curator and archivist at the American Colony. Thank you so much for your insight and for the wonderful stories that you told us about the American Colony and your work inside the archives of the Colony. Thank you. Thank you. The next episode of Jerusalem Unplugged will be available as usual on Wednesday. Please remember to join our Facebook page for all of the updates, but also you can follow our Twitter account and Instagram at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thank you for listening. And remember, enjoy, share, subscribe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 